Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we come before you and we thank you and who you are first and foremost. Father, we thank you for this building and this day. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your son. Father, we pray that you will use this day for your glory, that you will use this building for your glory, that you will use us, your people, for your glory. Father, you deserve all glory, honor, and praise. And may you use this church to bring praise and honor to you. Lord, what a privilege we have that you have chosen us to be your instruments in King George. Father, I pray that this church will continue to keep our eyes focused on Jesus and to share his good news with those around us. Father, we, your church, have been saved by your grace. Father, we still need grace at work in our lives every day. Father, by your grace, may you give us what we need. Continue to transform us. Help us to be transformed into the image of your Son by your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for mercy for our neighbors, for loved ones who don't know Jesus Christ, those who are lost in darkness. Father, I pray that you will save them, that you will use us, your people, to bring more into your kingdom. Father, I pray that you, your gospel will be heard and embraced and loved, that people will know who they are, not in comparison to others, but in comparison to you, and how their only hope for salvation is found in Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for this fall as we begin new ministries, the ABC ministry, the discipleship hour later. Father, we pray that you will bless those ministries and that you will use them to honor yourself. Father, we know that this is not the only church, that we are not the only body that gathers in King George this morning. We do pray for other gospel-centered churches here in King George, that the the gospel proclamation will be heard from the pulpit, that it will not fall in deaf ears, but we will hear all of us who are hearing your word this morning that it will be planted deep in our hearts and it will take root. Father, I pray for the other churches who are focused on Christ according to His Word. May it be heard this morning and loved and cherished. Father, we pray for the new work going on with Pillar 29 Palms being planted in California later this year. Father, we pray for Pastor Roy Garza and his family as they prepare to move, that they will be encouraged and strengthened with this new church plant that's going on at 29 Palms. Father, we pray for Derek and Tamar Cooper who are leaving us next week to prepare to go with Pastor Roy and the rest of the core team to plant this new church, Father. With this new ministry, I pray that it will be grounded in your word, that the gospel will be proclaimed, that you will strengthen this core group and that more people will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The greatest news that we could ever share and ever hear. May it come from Pillar 29 Palms. Father, we also pray for Pastor Vijay Masala of Reach All Nations. Father, we pray that you will bless that ministry. That our brothers will be strengthened in training for their role as pastor and elder. That they will shepherd their flocks well. 
that the gospel will be proclaimed no matter what comes their way and that many more will be saved into your kingdom through that ministry. Father, we pray for the Azeri Turks in Iran. Over 17 million around the world of this people group who have not heard the good news of Jesus Christ. It may have been told to them, but Father, they don't have ears to hear the truth. So Father, open their ears. Give them hearts to believe this truth. To save them from Islam. A dark and false religion that traps people in bondage. That gives them false hope, Father. May they hear the true hope of Jesus Christ. And may you save many among the Azeri Turks, Father. Raise up pastors from among them who can speak to their own people and share the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And Father, as we turn to Your Word, help me not to speak in error. Help us to see You in Your Word. Help us to love You and to seek You with all our heart, with all our being. With Your Spirit, reveal Your glory to us. It's in Your great name we pray. Amen. This morning, I have the privilege of leading the church in the installing of a new elder here at Redeemer. What a great way to commemorate our first Sunday in our new location. Three months after covenanting together, the Lord has blessed us with another elder and a new building to worship Him in. The Lord is gracious to bringing us to this point where we have a plurality of elders, leaders who will guide this church, and then God bringing us to this point where we will advance the gospel under the leadership of the plurality of elders, where the gospel will advance in our church here upward in praise to Him, and where we will know Him more and more, and the gospel will advance outward in our community, and more people will hear the good news of Jesus Christ the gospel advancing upwards and outwards. Because we're installing an elder this morning, I think it's good for us to look at what biblical eldership is. So this morning, so this morning, we're going to pause in our series in 1 Corinthians to look at what the Bible says, to see what God says what eldership is. We're going to turn to God's Word and see how God describes the office of elder. We turn to the Bible to see how God describes leadership. We don't turn to anywhere else. We don't look for a book that's describing eldership. We don't look for it online or in a bookstore. We don't go to conferences that discuss the 12 steps of being a good leader. We follow and we listen to what God says. We turn to the Bible to see how He describes eldership, and that is our guide. That is our direction. So that's what we're doing this morning. If we turn to anything else other than God's Word to find out what biblical eldership is, what leadership in the church is, then it's as if we're standing on quicksand. It may look solid, but we'll be sinking fast. And this church will be vulnerable. So we turn to God's Word this morning. I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. That's where we're going to be. 
God is the one who established the office of elder. God is the one who defines what the role of an elder is. God is the one who gives elders their purpose and their function and their meaning. And it's God who will give the elder their final assessment in their eldership, in their role of being elder. Everything in church, including eldership, including the role of an elder, everything in the church finds its meaning in God. So that's why we're turning to God's Word. Our text this morning is 1 Peter 5, 1-11. through 11. And really our focus is going to be on the first four verses of that passage that describes eldership to us. And it may seem like a lot of the sermon is focused on Anton and myself, the elders of, of Redeemer here. But I wanted to include verses 5 through 11 for all of us this morning. Because once we understand the role of eldership in the church, we need to understand what the proper response to eldership is. And that's what verses 5 through 11 give us. God gives you and I the response that the church should take to its elders. And together, how the church is to be with elders and those who follow elders. If you need a Bible, Anton is in the back and he's willing to to give you one. If you just want to raise your hand, you need a Bible this morning, he'll give one to you. As you turn to 1 Peter 5, let me summarize the first four verses for you. You can take uh, this statement, which is a summary of the first four verses, basically as a job description for eldership. Elders are to willingly shepherd God's people by eagerly overseeing the flock and being humble examples. Elders are to willingly shepherd God's people by eagerly overseeing the flock and being humble examples. Elders are shepherds who oversee the church and provide examples in living for Christ and honoring Him and glorifying Him. So, I ask you this morning to have it in, in your mind's eye a flock of sheep in the pasture with shepherds among them. Not just one shepherd, but a number of shepherds with them. And their task is to care for the other sheep. These shepherds They look like sheep. They are sheep. But they've been given a special task of caring for the other sheep. And looking over the whole flock and looking over the under-shepherds is the chief shepherd who cares for all of them. That's the picture I want to describe for us this morning. So let's read God's Word and understand the role of biblical eldership. 1 Peter chapter 5. Hear God's word. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. May God give us eyes to see him in his word this morning and a heart to love him deeply and supremely in our lives. This text should be read in light of what Peter is telling his readers in his letter. They were experiencing what all Christians face, and that's from time to time suffering and persecution. Peter wrote this letter to encourage all believers to stand firm in their faith in Jesus while they're enduring suffering and persecution. Peter's intent is to give encouragement and strength to help followers stay true and stay with Jesus Christ in the midst of their suffering and to have hope toward future glory. That that day of salvation is coming to all who are faithful in Christ. In chapter 4, verse 12, Peter said, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes. This is normal for the Christian to face trials. And in chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, Peter wrote, If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? When we're faced with adversity, we tend to find ways around it or away from it. We move away from it. But Peter, in inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this letter to help believers to persevere, to place their hope in Christ and His provision and His protection, to hold fast to the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is not just for the justification of our sins. The good news of Jesus Christ helps us day in and day out to stay true, to persevere, to face adversity and persecution. And that's what Peter's doing for us here. There's a purifying judgment that will begin in God's house, a purifying of God's people. Seeing our hope in Christ and the glorious reward of being with Him for all eternity seeing that the salvation comes from the cross of Jesus Christ, from Christ who suffered and who's now exalted above all things, seeing this and placing our hope in Christ, we can now follow His example. We can place our hope in the only one who's able and worthy to be called upon. We follow in Christ's footsteps, following His example, knowing we will receive a great and glorious reward. With this as the backdrop to our text, Peter then exhorts the elders, the men in the church who lead the church in and through persecution, the ones who prepare the church to face that persecution and to represent Christ well 
while the church suffers. Peter addresses the elders and says, this is how you are to be. Knowing that persecution and suffering will come, and some of us already face it today, knowing this, Peter addresses the elders because it falls primarily on the elders to care for the church, to comfort, to strengthen, and to guide the church. Please look with me again at chapter 5, verse 1. So, because of the suffering and the persecution that is already here for some of us, because of the suffering and the persecution that will come for the rest of us, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Do you hear the personal appeal by Peter? This is the first time in Peter's letter that he is describing himself since verse 1 of the first chapter. It's the first time. Peter, in essence, is saying, I know the persecution and suffering. I have experienced them personally. I witnessed our Lord endure the persecution and the suffering. As someone who understands, listen to what the church needs. You need elders who will keep you tethered to Christ. That's the role of the elder. You need men who see the gospel of Jesus Christ and will lead you home to Christ Himself. That, in a nutshell, is what Anton and I do. We lead you home to Jesus. We lead you to the only one who can save you from your sin, the only one who will satisfy your desires, the only one who's worthy of your worship. We lead you home to Jesus. Peter says, as a fellow elder, I exhort the elders among you. Peter knows and understands the trials, the battles, the hard work ahead of us. And he writes this to encourage us to stand fast and keep our focus on advancing the gospel of Jesus. With this personal appeal from Peter, he now gives us three descriptions for biblical eldership that together give us the biblical picture for eldership in the church. We first begin with the plurality of elders. Peter exhorts, he urges the elders, plural, among you. Now this is not unique to Peter. In Acts chapter 14, after being stoned, Paul went to city to city, it says in verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders, plural, for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. There is not one person among us that leads the church. It is an eldership that leads the church. No man has the right or the ability to single-handedly lead the church by himself. The church has a leader already, and that's Jesus Christ. Elders together lead the church on His behalf. They are the sheep among us who are the under-shepherds, caring for the other sheep. 
together. They watch over you and, and care for you. The Lord has given me personally a calling. He's given me a vision, if you will, for Redeemer Church. But it's not me. Nor is it Anton who will be out front by himself leading. Myself, Anton, and any other man who the Lord designates, together we will lead and care and guide this church. There's a plurality to leadership in the church. A group of men who the Lord has called together for a specific task. And in verse 2, Peter tells us what that is. And it's the next descriptor for biblical eldership. First, there's a plurality of elders in the church. And next, we are to see elders as shepherds. Please look with me at verses 2 and 3. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. In 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, Paul gives us the qualifications of an elder. Peter, in his letter here in 1 Peter, tells us what an elder is to be, what he is to do, and he has a word for it, shepherd. Elders are to shepherd the church. Elders are to be shepherd like the chief shepherd. Elders are to be shepherds. The Greek word is poinmen, and it means pastor. So elders are plurality. So you have a group of men who the Lord has designated who are elders, who are shepherds or pastors. That's where the word pastor is translated from as shepherd. Every elder is a pastor, is a shepherd. An elder is a shepherd who pastors. And they are to follow in Christ's footsteps and care for God's flock. And Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. In John 10, 11, we hear from Jesus himself what a good shepherd does. If you'll turn with me there to John 10, 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired man, hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd looks out for the wolves and protects the flock. He stands his ground against predators and defends the sheep, even with his own life, if that's what it takes. The good shepherd cares for the sheep. Their interest and their well-being is his priority. Another description of the Lord is found in Isaiah 40, beginning in verse 10. It says, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms, and He will carry them gently in His bosom. 
and gently lead those that are with young. The Lord is a good shepherd. In Isaiah, we hear the Lord is a gentle shepherd. And so elders in the church have a wonderful, perfect, holy, and good example to follow. Elders are to be good shepherds. They are to be gentle shepherds. Proverbs 27, 23 says, Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. Shepherds look out for the flock. A shepherd is to care for the flock. They are to gently lead the flock. And Jesus told us what a good shepherd is. He is the good shepherd. And every elder that follows Christ's example is following a good shepherd and knows the flock and cares for them. Knowing the flock means we are among the flock. We are with the flock. We are not separate. We're not in our own little place, our own area. We are among the sheep. And we are to remember we are one of the sheep as well. We are under shepherds. A shepherd knows the flock under his care. His attention is on that flock. He gently leads the flock. And he feeds the flock. Turn with me to John 21, beginning in verse 15. This is a passage well known to most of us. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter tells, Jesus tells Peter, I should say, Jesus tells Peter, feed his lambs, tend his sheep. And now Peter, back in his letter in 1 Peter, he's telling fellow elders the same thing. Feed the lambs, tend the sheep. When he says shepherd, this is the picture we are to have in our mind. What our Lord Jesus is like as a shepherd. What Peter personally experienced from our Lord. He is now exhorting fellow elders to follow in the same footsteps. They are to shepherd the flock of God among them. A shepherd is to do everything it takes, in other words, to look out for the sheep. Charles Cranfield, a Bible scholar, puts it this way. The chief functions of the shepherd, as they are depicted in the Bible, are to seek out the lost, gather the scattered, watch over and defend against wild beasts and robbers, to feed and water, to lead. God says in 1 Peter 5, exercise oversight. We go from the image of a shepherd in a field to elders in a church with that word exercise oversight same picture you got that in your mind's eye that that pasture full of sheep you've got under sheep with that chief shepherd there that that picture in our mind is then carried over directly and practically into the church with shepherd exercise oversight we go from that image into the church today Elders oversee God's people in the church like a shepherd tending the flock in the field. Elders oversee God's people in the church like a shepherd. An elder is a shepherd. He's an overseer, exercising oversight. This is not in a 
this authoritarian, dictatorial way. Oversight means like a shepherd looking out among the sheep, caring for the sheep. He looks out for them. He doesn't own the sheep. He tends to the sheep. He feeds them. The sheep belong to God. The elder belongs to God. And he is tasked, the elder is tasked, with overseeing the church. He is to have a watchful care, a watchful eye for the flock. Peter says, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. God tells us what elders are to be. They are to be shepherds. They are to oversee. And God tells us how they're to do it. He nullifies every negative way possible that eldership could be done in the church. He says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. He nullifies every negative way it could be taken. And he says, this is how it ought to be. This is how elders are to pastor, are to shepherd, are to oversee the church. Elders are not coerced into shepherding. They are not pressured into shepherding. If they are to serve, they are to serve with a wholehearted desire, a willingness to care for the church as God would have them do it. In other words, an elder does not serve as an elder because he has to. He serves in the role of elder because he wants to. God has given him the desire, the God-given desire to lead and care and feed and tend to the church. An elder who does it out of necessity will be empty and will lose his joy when the suffering and the persecution comes. But elders who want to do it, those who have the desire to to pastor and shepherd the church, their joy will be in Christ no matter what. No matter if that persecution and that suffering comes. That's how an elder is to be. Elders also don't do it for shameful gain or out of greed. The only gain in being an elder is the privilege of caring for the church. Dishonest gain is a depiction in the Bible of false teachers in the Bible. Elders are to be eager to oversee the church, to care for the church, without looking for some type of personal gain in it. Elders don't serve as dictators. Elders, eldership is not an imperial position. They are not to be oppressors or tyrants. That's why God gives the church as a whole the final authority in some areas like church discipline, affirming church offices, and approving what ought to be taught. Elders are the ones who teach and they interpret, but it is the church that approves the teaching. Elders don't lord it over the others. They don't lord over their role to others. Instead, they are to be examples to the flock. They are to show what it means to desire Christ above all else and to seek to be holy for He is holy. 
Holiness is the goal. And Christ is the reward. That is what elders are leading the church in. Being an example to strengthen and encourage the church ought to be the motive of being an elder. Being an example to those in your charge, to those in God's house who belong to Him, but that He's given to the elders to care for and to comfort. A group of men who desire to serve the church by feeding the church, by giving them truth and showing them how to pursue Christ. That's the kind of example an elder ought to be. That's the kind of example the church needs to stay true and be tethered to Christ. Elders are influencers, in other words. They're not dictators. Eldership is supposed to be sacrificial. It's to be loving. It's to be done with vigilance and purpose. It's to be done with the flock in mind. We have seen eldership organized in a plurality. It's to be done as a shepherd tending sheep. And now we'll see the reward given to faithful shepherds. Please look with me at verse 4. Faithful shepherds will receive a glorious reward from God. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter already alluded to this reward in verse 1 when he said he was a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Elders' service to the church comes with a great reward. Jesus, the chief shepherd, will appear and give elders a great gift. Once faithful elders lead the church through the suffering, through the persecution, helping the church to be united together in the gospel, feeding them truth, keeping them tethered to Christ, there will be one day when elders will be given a great reward. And it's described as unfading crown of glory. This is in reference to, in ancient times, the victors who got a crown of leaves put on their heads. But just like all leaves, what happens to those crowns, they fade over time. And what elders get, though, is a crown of unfading glory. They get a well done from our Master. They get to have the joy of being in Christ's presence forever. It's a crown of glory. It's eternal. Faithful elders who shepherd like the chief shepherd will have the reward of eternal joy in Christ's presence. These three descriptions of biblical eldership describe how Anton and I are to be in this church and any other man who's appointed to eldership. They are the descriptors we are to follow for eldership at Redeemer. And they lead us into verses 5 through 11. Here we see the proper response to faithful eldership. Please look with me again at verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, 
Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The church is to respond to biblical eldership by learning to live in humility toward one another, reflecting the grace that has been given to us so that we all will be exalted on the day of judgment, trusting in Christ, having the full assurance of our faith, the hope that's found in Jesus Christ, the full assurance of His love and His care for us. And we do this because the devil is looking around to devour someone, one of us around. The devil is looking to destroy this church. He can't destroy it, but he's trying to destroy it. He'll try to do it by getting elders to become sidetracked in feeding and caring for the sheep. He'll try it by picking off those weak members who have not fed on God's Word or who have isolated themselves away from the flock. So Peter tells all of us to be watchful, to look out for one another. Trust that God's plan in caring for you, for strengthening you, for protecting you, is providing under-shepherds to you to strengthen and feed you and strengthen all of us together. And on that day, we'll be exalted with Christ Jesus. That's the response to biblical eldership. Peter tells us to be watchful, to look out. And Peter ends our message with such hope and assurance. Our hope as a church is not having biblical eldership. We're given the task, we're given the role, but look at how Peter ends the passage. He ends it with such hope and assurance for us. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Christ's kingship is a reality of biblical elders leading the church home, leading the church into His kingdom. Christ is our assurance and our hope, and elders help the church stay true, stay on that path towards home. This is both the hope and the reason for trusting God and establishing eldership. The King of Kings has a kingdom that does not end. His dominion goes on forever and ever. When the church faces persecution and suffering, not if, but when the church faces suffering and persecution, it's in Christ alone we put our trust and our assurance. It's Christ who's coming to establish His reign forever and ever. And elders keep the church, you keep the church's sights on God's kingdom, both going into persecution, going through persecution, and coming out of it into eternal glory. That's the job description. That's the role of biblical eldership. This is the kind of eldership we want to establish here at Redeemer Church. The kind of eldership where elders are shepherds, they're pastors who follow the chief shepherd 
who serve the church, who care for you by feeding you the truth of God's word and tend to your needs by helping you to see that Jesus truly is the answer to everything in your life. Protecting this flock by ensuring sound doctrine is taught and embraced. Loving this flock sacrificially by looking after the welfare of this church before we look after our own. Guiding this flock by looking ahead to glory and helping all of us pursue holiness in Christ Himself. Only by the grace of God will this happen. Only by trusting Christ as our provider and our protector will this be a reality in our church. We take the next step today to install another elder here. This elder joins me in leading the church and pastoring the church and feeding the church and tending to the church by serving the church. Last week, the the members of Redeemer unanimously affirmed Anton Yuji as an elder. Anton comes into eldership alongside of me. Together, he and I now shepherd the church. He's not below me. I'm not above. We are fellow elders entrusted with your care. At this time, I'd like to ask Anton to come up here and join me. I have several questions to ask him in front of you and then a couple of questions for for the members of of Redeemer. Anton, do you confess anew Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Do you reaffirm your belief that the Bible is the inerrant, complete, and fully authoritative Word of God? Yes, I do. Do you renew your agreement with the confession of faith and covenant of this church? Yes, I do. Will you submit yourself to God's word in all things and think and live in accordance with its teachings that the name of the Lord will be exalted and your life would be above reproach as a worthy example to this church? Yes, I will. Will you study and teach faithfully God's word and guard this church from false doctrine? Yes, I will. Will you love and care for each person in this fellowship? Yes. Will you serve and lead this church sacrificially and humbly in attitude, word, deed, and prayer, putting the will of God in the interest of others before your own? Yes, I will. Will you work in unselfish cooperation with the other elder of this church? Yes, I will. And now for the members of Redeemer. Do you receive this man as a gift from God to shepherd this church? Do you promise to follow his leadership, to honor his role as elder, pray for and love him and his family, and humbly submit yourself to him and others in this church in order that the gospel of Jesus might be spread and God might be glorified in all things? Praise the Lord. God is gracious to us. We now have a fellow elder, another man who's committed to love you, to care for you, to lead you and serve you here at Redeemer. He is to model for you the love of Jesus. I'm thankful for you, Anton. I'm thankful for the Lord bringing us to this point at Redeemer. Let's pray. We are truly blessed.
Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You have given us not only new life and purpose, but You have shown us, Father, how we are to do it. Father, how You have gathered Your people into local bodies. And how You have not put it all on the shoulders of one man, but You have brought together men who love You above all else, who are willing to sacrifice themselves for Your church. Father, we thank You first for the forgiveness of our sins and cleansing us for our unrighteousness by trusting in Jesus. And now, Father, we have the privilege to guide and lead and serve this church on that path to lead them home to You. Father, I pray that Anton and I will do it together. That we will be united in Your Word. That the Gospel of Jesus Christ will come from our lips. That it will not fall on deaf ears, but Your church, Father, will embrace the Gospel as our hope and our joy. Father, may those around us hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Help Anton and I to preach Your Word, to teach it as it ought to be. Father, I pray that You will strengthen this body. Lord, we thank You for this day. We thank You for Your grace. And above all, we thank You for Jesus. It's in Your name. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.